the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend producing, Dave King engineering. Today, looking forward to a conversation with Carol McLeod, author of the Bible study, Timeless. The Living and Enduring Word of God. It focuses on the book of First Peter. She'll join us later this hour. And we'll also take a look at um, news from the last uh, couple of days and the coming persecution. Is it upon us? We'll take one commentator's view of uh, what is likely to come. But first... In the news, the uh, rise in credit card usage and debt is particularly concerning. Uh, Americans are increasingly turning to their credit cards to cover everyday expenses with debt surpassing one trillion dollars. And that's for the first time at the end of June, according to the New York Federal Reserve uh, reporting on Tuesday. In the three month period from April to June, total credit card debt surged from one point three trillion dollars. An increase of 45 billion or 4.6 percent from the previous quarter. And it marks the highest level on record in Fed data dating back to 2003. It is concerning because interest rates are astronomically high right now. The average credit card annual percentage rate or APR hit a a new record 20.33 percent. That's last week, according to a bank rate database that goes back to 1985. The previous record was 19 percent. That was back in 91. If people are carrying debt to compensate for um, steeper prices, they could end up paying more for items in the long run. For instance, if you owe $5,000 in debt, which the average American does, current APR levels would mean it would take up to 277 months and $7,723 in interest to pay off the debt, making the minimum payments. $1 $1 trillion in credit card debt is staggering, the chief credit analyst at LendingTree pointed out. Unfortunately, it's likely only going to keep growing from here. The increase in the credit card category helped to push total household debt to a staggering $17.6 billion, a 0.1% increase from the first three months of this year. In other news, left-wing Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson once again blasted efforts to condemn young criminals Criminals that he rejected a, a, a reporter's use of the word mob to describe dozens of looters on Wednesday. Johnson gave a public press conference following the arrest of 40 young people between the ages of 12 and 20 for reckless conduct misdemeanors in Chicago's South Loop on Sunday night. It was estimated that approximately three to four hundred people gathered and began to take part in disorderly behavior and attempted to loot a convenience store. The Chicago mayor provided updates regarding the situation, but took issue after a reporter described the massive group as a mob. Of course, it was one, but it was unflattering to refer to it as such. Well, Portland has lost over 14,000 residents, resulting in one billion dollars in lost revenue between the years 2020 and 21. Crime has exploded in the city with their the homicide record being broken two consecutive years in 21 and 22. 
Uh, Portland lost $1 billion between those uh, years as residents fled rampant homelessness and crime, taking their tax dollars with them. According to an analysis of Internal Revenue Service data by Oregon Live, Multnomah County, where Portland is located, hemorrhaged 14,257 persons filing taxes, resulting in a record $1 billion in revenue. The loss. Those who moved were also relatively wealthy, with the former residents holding incomes 14% higher than uh, people who had um, moved out of the area the year before. Over the course of the year, the average income of county residents who stayed declined slightly. That's a large shift for the Portland area historically, which had experienced 15 consecutive years of growth, only to become one of America's fastest shrinking cities. Well, the Biden administration quietly revised its data analysis of gas stove regulation it proposed earlier this year, showing they would produce fewer consumer savings than previously expected. The uh, Department of Energy filed a notification of data availability as part of its ongoing gas stove rulemaking this week, showing that Americans will save 30 percent less than it said they would under the regulations when they were first proposed in February. An Illinois judge has halted a law restricting the free speech of crisis pregnancy centers. A federal judge ordered Illinois to stop enforcing the law that restricts the speech of pro-life pregnancy centers while litigation over the constitutionality of the restrictions continues. The judge provided the pro-life pregnancy centers with a temporary relief on the third of this month so that they could freely advertise their services and speak to their clients freely. The order, which came one week after the law went into effect, doesn't settle the question of the constitutionality of the restrictions, but will ensure their speech isn't restricted as they await a final ruling. Several pro-life pregnancy resource centers sued the attorney general there over the law, which could result in fines of $50,000 for speech that the state determines is deceptive or misrepresents or omits information related to abortion. And how they define that is uh, rather telling. British Rowing has adopted a policy limiting participation in a newly created women's team of to biological females. It's uh, one of several sporting organizations to do so with concerns about the fairness of trans-identified males competing in women's sports. The governing body announced Thursday that it was implementing a new policy on competition eligibility and procedures, which is slated to take effect on the 11th of September. The new policy outlines requirements for competing in three newly established categories, open, women's and mixed All athletes, regardless of biological sex or self-declared gender identity, can compete in the open category. However, for the women's category, only people assigned female at birth will be eligible to compete in competitions under British rowing jurisdiction and or by selected uh, or be selected to represent Great Britain or England in international events. For the mixed category, competition organizers can offer competitions at any level of competition, providing 50 percent of crew are eligible from the women's category. Anheuser-Busch Air Billy Bush blasted Bud Light over the controversy stemming from its brief partnership with activist Dylan Mulvaney. Bud Light faced intense criticism after announcing in the spring that it was partnering with Mulvaney in a campaign aimed at inclusiveness that included Mulvaney's face on Bud Light cans. Anheuser-Busch, Bud Light's parent company, lost billions in market value after the partnership. In an interview with TMZ, Bush told host Harvey Levin that he believes his ancestors would be disappointed in the Mulvaney ad campaign. On Thursday, Anheuser-Busch reported a drop in sales and profit in their more recent quarter of, uh, of operations as the fallout from its partnership with Mulvaney continues to take a toll.
A combined Russian and Chinese naval force patrolled near the coast of Alaska last week in what U.S. experts said appeared to be the largest such flotilla to approach American shores. Eleven Russian and Chinese ships um, steamed close to the Aleutian Islands, according to U.S. officials. The ships, which never entered U.S. territorial waters and have since left, were shadowed by four U.S. destroyers and P-8 Poseidon aircraft. There's currently a struggle for dominance and power in the Arctic region, which is becoming contested territory, and the Russian-Chinese naval patrols appear to be part of that struggle. The uh, re- Their report, together with the region, is a sign of increasing cooperation between the two nations. According to the Arctic Council, which is the intergovernmental forum focused on the Arctic and Aleutian uh, region, where the Aleutian Islands are located, is referred to as the doorway to the Arctic. Eight countries that have territory in that area make up the Arctic Council. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. And also coming up later this hour, Carol McLeod, Timeless, the living and enduring Word of God. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, a conversation with Carol McLeod, author of Timeless, the living and enduring word of God. It's a focus, a Bible study on First Peter. Well, NASCAR driver Noah Gragson has been suspended by Legacy Motor Club and NASCAR after he appeared to like a meme that made light of George Floyd's death on social media. Gragson will subsequently not race in Sunday's Cup Series race at Michigan International Speedway. It's not clear how long this suspension will last um, uh, suspending people for liking memes. NASCAR is officially woke. One observer uh, points out. And since Joe Biden took office, his administration has lost contact with roughly 85,000 migrant children released into the U.S. These unaccompanied minors were released to sponsors and authorities can no longer locate them. According to the New York Times earlier this year, overall, the agency lost immediate contact with a third of migrant children. Back in April, Biden's Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement Director Robin Dunn Marcos admitted before Congress that the agency doesn't monitor or track the whereabouts of children after they're released from our care. In lieu of this stunning admission, Representative Chris Smith introduced legislation to require the federal government to track down these lost children. These children need to be protected from terrible traffickers who will exploit them, rape them, put them into forced labor of some kind, Smith argues. And so it's a very real problem that's happening all around the world and happening right here in our backyard. The Cato Institute and the Mackinac Center for Public Policy filed a lawsuit on Friday against Joe Biden's latest student loan cancellation gambit, Biden's plan would uh, use income-driven repayment plans already in existence to effectively provide $39 billion in loan forgiveness to 804,000 borrowers. Well, that effectively games the system by including periods of non-payment as contributing to a borrower's 20 to 25 years of payment in order to ensure that borrowers meet the threshold for loan forgiveness. The lawsuit argues no authority allows the department to count non-payments as payments. Therefore, the inescapable conclusion is that the one-time account adjustment is substantially and substantively procedurally unlawful. 
Well, with the COVID pandemic long over and fast fading in the nation's rearview mirror, one thing is yet to get back to the pre-pandemic norms, and that is working at the office. This has especially been the case in Washington, where the majority of federal employees are still enjoying working from home. Well, that means federal government office buildings are nowhere near capacity. A recent report from the Government Accountability Office found that nearly two dozen federal agencies' headquarters offices um, are currently over 50 percent vacant. Well, seeking to remedy this, the administration is pushing to get more federal workers back into the office. White House Chief of Staff Jeff Zients sent an email telling agencies to begin implementing increases in the amount of in-person work for your team and to aggressively execute this shift in September and October. The board of the American Academy of Pediatrics reaffirmed its commitment to promoting gender-bending treatments Um, Some would consider abuse of children. The AAP represents some 67,000 pediatricians nationwide. The uh, American Academy of Pediatrics uh, chief executive, Mark Del Monte, said the board has confidence that the existing evidence is such that the current policy is appropriate, end quote. However, in recognition that European countries have increasingly distanced themselves from gender Um, affirming, as they're called, treatment on minors. The AAP board commissioned a systematic review of policy regarding these treatments. The admission looks like uh, more like an effort to placate the objections to these uh, politically and medically harmful uh, procedures rather than any sincere concern for questions or objections, much less the kids under the knife or under the drugs. Dozens of teens and young adults were arrested in New York City last Friday after a full-on riot broke out during an event held by popular video gamer celebrity Kaya Sinet. An estimated 2,000 teens and young adults showed up at Union Square Park, where he was uh, promising to give away free PS5 gaming consoles, as well as other gaming equipment. Well, the event was being live-streamed, was intended by the invitee as a generous give-back to his fans. The trouble is that he effectively promoted himself with the gangster image and three months prior to uh, had been banned by the gamer platform Twitch for live-streaming himself, ingesting and passing out edible marijuana. It therefore comes as little surprise that one who promotes lawlessness would attract a fan base of lawlessness as well. Well, the United States women's national team suffered its earliest elimination from the World Cup. Elon Musk vows to go to war against companies that punish employees for active activity on X. And former um, Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris staffer says the vice president is unpopular in the polls because she's a black woman and a history maker, uh, which it seems to me undermines credible black women who have performed well. <clears throat> Um, the suggestion is you cannot performance review someone if it's um, less than flattering. The U.S. has deployed more than 3,000 sailors and Marines to the Middle East following Iran's targeting of ships there. And Colorado has raised the age to buy firearms to 21. That has since been challenged. More on that later. Seattle's Museum of Pop Culture has erased J.K. Rowling from the Harry Potter exhibit. Hmm. Millions of U.S. workers are nearing retirement age and they have zero money saved. And U.S. housing affordability is at an all time low. Well, financial expert Dave Ramsey uh, points out that the two think tanks are urging a federal court to block the Biden administration's scaled back plan to cancel thirty nine billion dollars in student loans, arguing that the plan exceeds the administration's authority. 
The president, at one point in his career, made that very statement himself. Well, the lawsuit was filed on on Friday in Michigan by the Civil Liberties Alliance on behalf of free market think tank Mackinac Center for Public Policy and libertarian think tank Cato Institute. The groups accused the administration of overstepping its power and announcing student loan debt relief for 800,000 borrowers. Meanwhile, Massachusetts Governor Mara Healey on Tuesday declared a state of emergency in the liberal state over a surge in migrants that she says has left social services overwhelmed, calling for more funding and federal action. Healey, a Democrat, announced that a state of emergency exists due to rapid and unabating increases in the number of families with children and pregnant people, many of pregnant people. Uh, Many of them newly arriving migrants and refugees living within the state, but without the means to secure safe shelter in our communities. Well, the state says there are nearly 5,600 families or more than 20,000 people in the state shelter system. Healy said there are numerous contributing factors, including federal policies on immigration and work authorization, as well as lack of affordable housing and the end of COVID era programs. Well, Massachusetts is the latest liberal jurisdiction to call for help from the federal government due to a surge of migrants, despite not being anywhere near the besieged southern border. New York City, Chicago and the state of New York have all made emergency declarations this year and called for help in response to a migrant wave. Governor Healy called the um, call for Mayorkas to press Congress to use executive action to remove um, barriers for work permits for migrants, address the outdated and punitive immigration laws, and to provide additional financial assistance to the state. Meanwhile, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema said last week she was livid that New York City was receiving federal funding to deal with migrants instead of states at the border. What we're experiencing here in Arizona, she points out, is matched only by what folks are experiencing in southern Texas. Uh, Those are the two communities that are experiencing this crisis. The rest of the country is experiencing experiencing some elements of it, but we are experiencing the brunt, she points out. Well, a former federal prosecutor called out a reporter uh, filing uh, made by an attorney from former President Donald Trump's valet, a co-defendant in the Mar-a-Lago special counsel case, and said the allegations amount to extortion. James Trustee, a former chief of justice uh, of the Justice Department's organized crime unit, said both Trump's case and the state of allegations against the Biden family from whistleblowers speak volumes about the integrity of the current Department of Justice. He referenced allegations against assistant U.S. attorney for Delaware, Leslie Wolf, uh, that claimed she warned Hunter Biden's attorney about potential scrutiny on a storage unit the first son used. Trustee said, in my book, that's basically obstruction of justice. But Trustee added that a recent wrinkle in special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into alleged mishandling of classified information at Trump's Mar-a-Lago compound in Palm Beach may be similarly alarming. You had a high-level Department of Justice official, according to a statement submitted as an officer of the um, court to the federal judge, Stanley Woodward, a defense attorney representing Walt Nida, that it would be a shame, essentially, if he endangered his pending judgeship by not flipping Nada against President Trump, Trustee said. The incident, first reported in the UK Guardian, claimed federal prosecutor Jay Bratt, head of the counterintelligence and export control section of the Department of Justice National Security Division, brought up the fact that Woodward filed an application to be considered for a federal judge opening. 
Woodward appeared before prosecutors in Washington on November in 2002. The paper characterized the exchange as one in which Bratt suggested Woodward's endeavor for a judgeship would be viewed in a more positive light if his client cooperated against his boss, the former president. Again, it's extortion, trustee suggested. So the people that we're entrusting in our criminal justice system to fairly and impartially and transparently pursue justice are actually obstructionists because they're so bent on going after one target, President Trump. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a break here in a moment. And when we return, a conversation with Carol McLeod, author of Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God. Stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible for a book written nearly 2,000 years ago to still have intrinsic value to the daily lives of its readers? Well, my next guest answers that question with a resounding yes in her latest book, Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, the 16th book by beloved author, podcast host, and speaker, Carol McLeod. She shares how the Bible in general and the book of First Peter specifically has never ceased to create a vital, timely impact on each generation of readers. Well, Carol McLeod is a sought-after speaker, as I mentioned, best-selling author of 16 books and the host of two successful podcasts, Jolt of Joy and Significant Woman. Her weekly blog, Jolt uh, Joy for the Journey, rather, has been named to the top 50 faith blogs for women. Her weekly TV show, The Joy of Life, or The Joy Life, is viewed by thousands weekly, and her U-Vision devotional has been enjoyed by nearly 4 million people around the world. Known for her great joy and enthusiasm, she encourages and empowers women with passionate and practical Bible-focused messages, and today we talk about her latest, Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God. Thank you so much for joining us today. George, thank you so much. I've really been looking forward to this. I know that you are a woman who loves the Word of God, and we live in a time when lots of questions are being raised about whether or not it is relevant today in the 21st century. And one of the points that you make so well in this devotional is that, yes, the Word of God is relevant. In fact, you begin uh, the book in the introduction by kind of examining that that point, that there are a lot of uh, there's lots of ancient literature that's no longer relevant, but the Word of God stands apart. Can you uh, share uh, that perspective with us as we begin our conversation? Yeah, I'd love to, Georgine. So I was an English major in college, and so I've read it all. I've read all the classics. And one of my English professors said, Beowulf is the greatest classic poem written in the history of mankind. Well, sister, you can't even understand one word of it today. (laughs) And then Shakespearean sonnets, you know, I love them, but they give me a headache. You, You can't understand the verbiage or the language. The Word of God, not so. The Word of God, Peter actually calls it timeless and enduring. And and that is what it is. The Word of God, written by the Holy Spirit, has juice for every generation, including those of us who live in the 21st century. Mm. Uh, it's hard to uh, associate the Peter that we read in First Peter, and you highlight the book of First Peter, with the Peter mm-hmm. we read about in the Gospels, it gives hope for the rest of us. But it is such an in- incredible book, as are all the books of the Bible. You uh, make the point that uh, Peter is one of your favorites. Can you talk a little bit about why you're focusing on him and the word time- t- um, timeless being applied to this book as you carry women through a study of the book of First Peter? 
Oh, I'd love to, Georgine. Thank you for asking that question. So Peter has always been my favorite disciple. And whenever I say that, I feel like I need to say, sorry, John, but (laughs) I love Peter. And you know what? Honestly, it's because I'm so much like him. Peter was impetuous and opinionated. He slept when he should have been praying. Like, guilty, I've done that. Uh, Peter thought he had a bit better idea than Jesus, and he corrected him. Guilty, I have done that. Peter was the disciple who denied the Lord three times. And how many times have I done that Mm. by my life choices? But never forget, Georgine, that Peter was also the disciple who sat on a stormy sea. Jesus, I want to do what you're doing. And that's the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to do what the Lord would do, especially in a storm. And so it's a point well taken. You said this is a different Peter that we study in the book of First Peter. He changed. He matured. And Georgine, as I study Scripture, this is what I know about Peter. He changed for two reasons. First of all, he experienced the risen Christ. He he saw Jesus resurrected, and that will change anybody. When we say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins, and you rose from the dead. So Peter did that. And then the second thing was, he was with the disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. He received the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't we all need that today to live defiantly, against our culture. So if there was hope for Peter, Georgine, there's hope for me and you. Absolutely. Um, He went from winning arguments to winning souls. Um, He no longer was a denier, but a proclaimer. And broken people, sinners, are the only kind of person that God uses. He used Peter, and he'll use us. You make the strong uh, point that when we're reading the book of 1 Peter, Um, We hear the unmistakable voice of the Holy Spirit, that he speaks to us through his word. It's timeless. It's relevant. And uh, the book of Peter itself, first Peter, um, has so many similarities to life in 21st century uh, America and around the world. Yeah, you know, one of the things I love that the Holy Spirit tells us, Georgine, in the book of first Peter is He tells us how to get through hard times in life. Okay, so if that's not timeless, I don't know what is. Because I can guarantee you that every one of your listeners is going through something hard right now. And so the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Peter, instructs us, coaches us. This is how you do hard. And so one of the things that Peter tells us is found in 1 Peter 1, 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Okay, stop, pause, hold the presses. This tells us exactly what to do, and it ain't rocket science. Peter says, when you're going through a hard time, you up your worship, you up your praise level. So, Georgine, let me just tell you about this, greatly rejoice, this phrase, It's the Greek word, agaliao, and it's a uniquely Christian word. Did you know that this word, agaliao, was never used in secular Greek literature of the day, only in the Bible? And so Peter says, sisters and brothers in Christ, when you don't like your life, 
when you're being traumatized by circumstances, when you're being marginalized by the culture, don't whine, don't complain, don't panic, rejoice, get your praise on. And Georgine, you know as well as I do that every believer has to make that determinant. Mm -hmm. Will I weep or will I worship? But just to be real honest with you, I have often wept while worshiping. Mm -hmm. I'm singing while tears are rolling down my face. But we shouldn't let circumstances stop our song. Absolutely. Absolutely. You Well, we're talking about Timeless, which is a, a Bible study. It's designed to be yeah. practical. And I appreciated as you were talking about that particular scripture, we need to stop and pause and reflect. What is the scripture telling us to do? And that's so timely um, in that we find ourselves in very difficult circumstances. Describe for listeners who don't have a copy of your book in their hand how this devotional is designed to, to work. Because there, there are elements of it that are in place for every day, for every uh, focus of scripture as they work they were their way through. Yeah, that's right. So it's broken up into eight weeks, Georgine. And during each week, there are five days for you to read. And hidden in each chapter, uh, nestled in each chapter, are reflective questions for the reader to answer, because we have to apply scripture to our personal lives. So those questions are designed to do that. Every week, there's a scripture to memorize, Because I always say that memorizing scripture is not just for fifth graders, Mm. but it's for anyone who loves Jesus. There are prayers to pray. There are little assignments to do. Um, But the book Timeless, um, for your listeners, if you're part of a book club or a Bible study or Sunday school class, you can also order the Leader's Guide and the eight video teachings that go along with it. So you can do it on, on its own just as a book, or you can order the ancillary product to even enrich your study to a greater degree. Excellent. Now we're going to take a break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we're talking this afternoon with, uh, with Carol McLeod. She is the author of Timeless, the Living and Enduring Word of God. The book is published by Iron Stream. We'll give you more details on how you can acquire the resources related to the book and the book itself. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Carol McLeod. She is a sought-after speaker, best-selling author of 16 books, and the host of two successful podcasts, a weekly blog, a weekly television program, and her version. Um, devotionals have been enjoyed by nearly 4 million people around the world. Today, we're talking about her latest, Timeless, the Living and Enduring Word of God, focusing on the book of First Peter. Now, what are some of the similarities between the first century church and the 21st century church that we will find in common as we read through First Peter and Timeless, the, the devotional? Yeah, so, um, Georgine, Peter was writing to the first century church. They were his audience. They, they were the ones who received this letter the first time. And let's think about it for a minute. That first century church, they were bullied, battered. They were suffering. They had been marginalized by the culture. Maybe you've heard of a man by the name of Nero. Well, he was in power then. He was a madman. And historians call him probably the cruelest man ever to live. Nero was burning Christians at the stake for entertainment. He, he was feeding believers to starving lions just for sport. And you know what? Although we're not being fed to the lions, 
we're being fed to the media and to the politics of the day. Are, are we not? Mm. Our culture doesn't like us very much either. And so that's the similarities. And so the book of First Peter was not just written to the early church. It was also written to us by the timeless power of the Holy Spirit. And, and just like believers in the first century had to keep their eyes set on Jesus, not on politicians, Georgine, so do we. So do we. Amen. You make the point that um, that uh, we don't read the word for information, but for yeah. transformation. How do we go about uh, studying the word of God? And in this case, First Peter, not just so that we're better informed, but in order that we experience the transformation that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Yeah, Georgine, the answer to that one is I always say, listen, just open your Bible and let your eyes look at it. Let your eyes read it and take it in. You know, Georgine, the Bible is different than, say, People magazine or the newest Karen Kingsbury novel. The Bible is living and active, and that's because the Holy Spirit wrote it. So when when people say to me, Carol, I don't understand the Word of God like you do, I always say, that's okay, read it anyway, because the Word of God goes inside of us and does an inside work. So Georgine, when you take vitamins in the morning, like you don't automatically feel better that day or the next day. But if you keep taking vitamins, sister, in three or four weeks, there's going to be a spring in your step. You're going to feel better. It's the same way with the Word of God. If you consistently read the Bible, all of a sudden, you're going to be kinder to your husband and you're going to think, what happened to me? Well, the Word of God happened to you. All of a sudden, you're not going to panic about finances. You're going to think, what happened to me? Well, the Bible happened to you. The Bible does an inner miraculous work in the lives of its readers. Amen. You know, it may seem incongruous. We were talking earlier about the fact that the church was under severe persecution and oppression at the time that Peter wrote mm-hmm. this this first letter to them. And yet joy and rejoicing are central themes yeah. in First Peter. Uh, the, what you've just described, I think, may answer the question in part. But how are those two things possible as we face challenges in this generation that are unique? Um, how do we uh, respond with joy and rejoicing? And where do we find that in First Peter to help us along the way? Yeah, you know, Georgine, I think that that we, the older generation now of the church, we, we've done a really good job of teaching a younger generation how to live in your purpose, how, how to find your destiny, how to make a declaration. But we've not taught them how to suffer well. And Peter does that. And it is through the theme of joy and rejoicing that Peter teaches not only the first century church, but the 21st century church, how to suffer well as well. Um, so it, joy and rejoicing, it needs to be our default. It needs to be our knee-jerk reaction when we go through a trial. Uh, again, I, I probably sound like a broken record, Georgine, and I, and I guess that's okay, because we're going to be tempted to gossip, to murmur, to whine or complain. 
But no, when we go through the hard stuff in life, we need to sing a song of praise. You know, Georgine, I minister to women all across America, um, on other continents as well. But so many women will say to me, Carol, I just feel, I just feel, I just feel. And Georgine, honestly, I want to tell them sometimes, listen, I don't really care what you feel. Tell me what you believe. Because as believers in Christ, we build a life upon our belief system, not upon our feelings. And the book of 1 Peter helps us with that. It helps us define who we are and what we believe. And those two things, who we are in Christ, what we believe as Christians, are the pillars of our walk. And if we don't have those two things settled, before we go through a hard time, we're never going to make it. Yeah. So, you know, in, in the last pages of my book, I, I have a list called How to Suffer Well. And honestly, the entire book is worth that very list. Yeah. In fact, I was going to ask you about that um, next. Mm-hmm. Can you give us just one example? Because I think people will find great encouragement in knowing, first of all, that suffering will come. Jesus made that very yeah. clear. So we shouldn't be surprised. And I think sometimes we're a little too shocked by what we should expect. Um, but give us an example of uh, one, one of the ways that we can suffer well, because it's coming. It, well, it is coming. Well, let's see. I, I think the one I, I'd like to comment on is this. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, when we're going through a hard time, so Georgine, about nine years ago, I was diagnosed with very aggressive cancer, and I had to be very careful what I allowed myself to think about, because I could have thought about cancer, 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 24-7. It could have framed every single thought of my life, but I refused to allow the cancer that invaded my body to invade my mind as well. And so I um, intentionally thought about the Word of God. I reminded myself of the miracles I had seen in my life and in other people's lives. I reminded myself of other people who needed my prayers when I was going through the furnace. So one of the things when we suffer is take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Mm. Now, what currently brings you joy? Oh, I love that. So, you know, Georgine, like so many Christian women, I have been guilty of looking for joy in all the wrong places. I've thought that, you know, wearing a size four dress was going to bring me joy or Godiva chocolates or a trip to Hawaii. No, those things make me happy. But there's only one thing, Georgine, that brings me joy, and that's spending time with Jesus. It's hanging out in his presence. So I go for a walk in the early morning and I listen to the word of God and I listen to praise and worship music. That brings me joy. I have a prayer list in in my calendar and I spend time every day praying for others. That brings me joy. Those are the things that tie my life to eternity. And those are the things that bring me joy. Well, some of us have to learn that the hard way. We've tried the other things. They fall short. 
And I so appreciate your bringing us back, as you do in your writing, to what really matters. Now, you mentioned earlier, in addition to the book Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, there are other resources to help women, either as individuals or in a group, to study um, this, this devotional. How can they connect with you and avail themselves of the resources that you provide? Oh, I would love it. Yeah, so my website is carolmccloudministries.com. Um, if your smartphone is your thing, there's an app for your smartphone. Just Carol McLeod Ministries, look it up. Um, but you can buy all of my books on Amazon, Georgine. Uh, but the video teaching series and the leader's guide, you'll need to go to either my website, carolmccloudministries.com, or to my publisher's website, which, as you've already mentioned, is ironstreammedia.com. Well, I would encourage listeners to do that. There's nothing like having Bible study together with other women and and to take the opportunity to do that on occasion is always a blessing. Well, Carol, I just want to congratulate you once again for a a wonderful uh, study. I'm looking forward to um, going through it myself. I didn't have the opportunity to do that before our conversation, but I've I've set it aside and it's on my calendar to add that to my devotional. Oh, so thank you so much for the, the work that you've put into it and for taking the time to, to bless us here today. Oh, thank you, Georgine. I've loved it. And thank you for all of the work you do for the kingdom of God. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. Bye. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. We'll be back in just a few moments. Again, the book, Timeless, The Living and Enduring Word of God, published by Iron Stream. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend producing Dave King Engineering. We'll return to a walk through some of the day's headlines Former NC2A Division I athlete Riley Gaines and Paula Scanlon were among those who were targeted by hostile protesters that gathered in Texas on Monday. In opposition to the Save Women's Sports Act, Texas Governor Greg Abbott was joined by Gaines and Scanlon at the Texas Women's Hall of Fame at Texas Women's University in Denton for a ceremonial signing of the bill, which is previously signed into law in June. But according to those in attendance, Protesters that gathered at the event threw items and spat at those who gathered in support of the legislation. The most alarming by the uh, treatment of the was the treatment of the young girls that had attended the signing as they were being walked out by their mothers and there were uh, police officers in front and in back of them. The protesters were getting in the kids' faces, screaming and harassing them, frightening them. It was out of control, says one observer. Speaking of the protest, Gaines uh, continued. Bottles were being thrown. Protesters were spitting in people's faces. Profanity was yelled at children. Law enforcement stepped in and provided protection. Former University of Pennsylvania swimmer Paula Scanlon shared on social media that protesters blocked the exits and were spitting and yelling. Senate Bill 15, the legislation in question, followed a similar piece of legislation that he signed in 20 2021 that requires public school teams through high school in the state of Texas to be designated by students sex assigned at birth. At least 20 states have passed similar forms of legislation. Senate Bill 15 will go into effect in Texas on the 1st of September. Well, the families of 13 U.S. service members killed outside of Kabul's airport during the military's withdrawal from Afghanistan came before Congress together for the first time this week to seek answers about their loved ones' deaths nearly two years after the tragic day occurred. Representative Daryl Issa, he held the congressional forum with the Gold Star families on Monday, 
where for nearly 90 minutes, Americans heard emotional testimony about how the grieving families felt misled and betrayed by their own government. Several called out President Biden and his top cabinet officials by name, calling on them to resign. A father of one fallen U.S. Marine called on the president to be a grown man. He used more colorful description. A Defense Department official said the testimony later on Monday, the Department of Defense expresses our deepest condolences to the Gold Star families who lost loved ones during the tragic bombing at Abbey Gate. We are forever grateful for their service, sacrifice and committed efforts during the evacuation operations. We also commend the historic and monumental efforts of all our servicemen and women who served honorably during the withdrawal period from Afghanistan, end quote. But several family members, they criticized the administration and some even accused officials of lying about the circumstances of their loved one's death. Among the most emotionally charged statements came a reaction to Biden officials lauding the evacuation as a success. When our leaders, including the Secretary of Defense and our Commander in Chief, called this evacuation a success, as if there should be celebration, it was like a knife in the heart for our family and for the people who came back. Christy Shamlin, the mother-in-law of Marine Sergeant Nicole Gee, said, I live every single day knowing that these deaths were preventable. My daughter could have been with us today. Former Vice President Mike Pence has met the requirements to qualify for the first Republican presidential nomination debate. His campaign says Pence's 2024 presidential campaign said on Monday that earlier in the day they crossed the 40,000 donor threshold. One of two criteria set by the Republican National Committee for GOP White House hopefuls to reach the debate stage. Now, the former vice president had already passed the polling threshold mandated by the RNC. The, um, the former vice president's political team said they reached out to inform the RNC that the former vice president had qualified and spotlighted that they were the first campaign to submit their numbers for the National Party Committee's verification process. Fox News is hosting that debate, which will be held August 23rd in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, Pence becomes the eighth Republican presidential candidate to announce they've passed the threshold to qualify for that debate. The other contenders who've already reached the criteria are former President Donald Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, former Ambassador and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, South Dakota Governor a Doug Burgum and entrepreneur and best-selling author Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Trump has yet to say if he'll attend the first debate. The vice president's uh, campaign spokesman, Devin O'Malley, said in a statement, hopefully the former president has the courage to show up. New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced that a new taxpayer-funded tent city for illegal migrants will be going up in the Big Apple. Adams announced Monday that Randall's Island in New York City will be the new spot for more than 57,000 illegal migrants living in the city that never sleeps. As the number of asylum seekers in our care continues to grow by hundreds every day, stretching our system to its breaking point and beyond, it has become more and more of a Herculean effort to find enough beds every night. Well, Adam said in a press release on Monday uh, we're uh, grateful to government Ho- Governor Hochul and New York State for their partnership in opening this new humanitarian relief center and covering the costs. And we need more of the same from all levels of government. Well, New York City lawmakers have pleaded for help as migrants have started sleeping on the sidewalks of Midtown Manhattan. Councilwoman Vicki Paldino, she uh, warned that the surge in illegal migrants is affecting New York's uh, quality of life and that the situation is absolutely out of control. 
New York City has more than 50,000 migrants in its shelter system in what has become one of the most publicized migrant crises in the East Coast. Adams recently said that the sanctuary city has run out of room for new migrants and even called for a state of emergency in the city to battle the crisis. New York lawmakers they announced in June that the city would receive $104.6 million in federal emergency management agency funding for its shelter and services program. We've already heard from border state uh, senators who suggest that this is an insult in that the border states um, are in much dire, much more dire situation. Former President Donald Trump's attorney has filed court documents on Monday arguing for less restrictions over evidence in the 2020 election case. We'll tell you more about that when we return from the break. In just a moment, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow on the program, looking forward to a conversation with David Clausen, co-author of Male and Female, He Created Them. That'll be tomorrow on The Georgine Rice Show in the first hour of the program. Well, as mentioned, former President Donald Trump's attorney filed court documents on Monday, arguing for less restrictions over evidence in the 2020 election case, saying this was a trial about First Amendment rights. Well, in the court filing, Trump's legal team said the government requested the uh, the court restrict all documents produced by government, regardless of sensitivity. Well, doing so, the team argued, goes against established law and the former president's First Amendment rights. Instead, the former president's team asked the court to narrow the proposed order to shield genuinely sensitive materials from the public's view only. Well, the team claimed the approach is more consistent with other protective orders entered by the court concerning the events of January 6th of 21 and balances the government's claim to protect highly sensitive categories of material and expedite the flow of discovery. The document read, well, special counsel Jack Smith responded promptly to the former president's legal team request, saying the government has proposed a standard, reasonable order that will streamline the flow of discovery to the defendant while preserving the integrity of these proceedings. The defendant has proposed an unreasonable order to facilitate his plan to litigate this case in the media to the detriment of litigating this case in the courtroom, Smith continued. Normal order should prevail. No oral argument is necessary. The court should enter the government's proposed protective order, end quote. Well, Judge Tanya Chutkin responded on Monday night by ordering a hearing on the Department of Justice motion to protect Uh, to have a protective order, and she ordered Smith and Trump's legal team to meet no later than 3 o'clock this afternoon to determine two dates and times on or before Friday that work for both parties in order for the hearing to take place. The drama continues. The four liberal Sunday morning news shows on CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, which historically recapped the biggest political stories of the week, completely avoided the Devin Archer testimony that further fueled more questions into the president's involvement in his son's business dealings. Archer, a former longtime friend and business associate of Hunter Biden's, offered his testimony to the House Oversight Committee on Monday last. Well, during his testimony, he alleged that Hunter Biden put his father on speakerphone during business meetings at least 20 times and that executives from Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company that both Biden and Archer were hired as board members, called D.C. to get the Ukrainian prosecutor investigating the company fired, something that now President famously bragged about on video in 2018. However, Grabian transcript 
uh, show none of the Sunday morning uh, newscasts that aired on CNN, ABC, CBS and NBC made any mention of the Archer testimony. However, some of them did mention the Hunter Biden controversies in passing. The Washington Post came under fire Monday for publishing what critics called a fawning puff piece about a Palestinian terror cell in the West Bank. The outlet was accused of legitimizing the terrorist group with sympathetic reporting driven by an alleged anti-Israel bias at the paper. Lynn, the story headlined tomorrow's martyrs inside a Palestinian militant cell in the West Bank. Washington Post reporter Steve Hendricks detailed his experience in betting with the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade. Uh, which had been designated a terrorist group by the United States and Israel. Hendricks, joined by photographer Lorenzo Tugnoli, uh, they followed the group's every move for three days, describing in great detail the meals and daily activities of the militants and their leader. The experience, writes Hendricks, afforded a rare window into the lives and actions of fighters on one side of the worst violence to grip the West Bank in decades. Well, the story, which features photos of Palestinian children at the graves of their fighter relatives and heavily armed terrorists, recounts grim and growing death toll of Palestinians at the hands of Israeli military raids, like the recent Jenin operation, which resulted in the death of one Israeli soldier and 12 Palestinians. The operation targeted the Hamas terrorist organization responsible for all terror activities emanating from the Gaza Strip, Israeli leaders said, well, Jenin has been a hotbed of Palestinian terrorist activity for months with Iranian backed militants using it as a base for which to carry out attacks on Israel. The sentiment in the group, reports Hendricks, is that there are no innocent Israelis. They kill our women and children. We will do the same. End quote. Well, the fighters, Hendricks writes, consider themselves tomorrow's martyrs. The article was immediately denounced by critics online, with some accusing the outlet of spreading anti-Israel propaganda and others calling the reporting consistent with the Post's double standard for covering terrorist groups. Well, pop and R&B sensation Neo, he appeared to reverse course for a second time regarding his stance on children receiving gender transition treatments. Well, Neo, whose real name is Schaefer Shamir Smith, went viral on Sunday after a conversation on Vlad TV with Gloria Velez uh, featuring his uh, slamming parents who allow their kids to make life-changing decisions through gender transition. The singer originally defended his comments on Instagram after facing pushback from LGBTQ plus activists, but then a written apology was posted on the uh, singer's social media on Monday. After much reflection, I'd like to express my deepest apologies to anyone that I may have hurt with my comments on parenting and gender identity. I've always been an advocate for love and inclusivity in the LGBTQIA community, so I understand how my comments could have been interpreted as insensitive and offensive, the statement read in part. However, hours later, Neo himself took to Instagram with a video to clarify his position from the horse's mouth and not the publicist's computer. It really exposed the tremendous pressure these performers are under by their publicist not to rankle the feathers of uh, potential um, supporters of their work. Listen, he went on to say, and I'll paraphrase because he uses language that I wouldn't in a way that I wouldn't. I normally don't give too much about um, about what you all think about what I do, what you have to say about what I say, whatever. I normally don't care because, I, like I said, opinions ain't special. Everybody got one. However, this is something I feel very strongly on, and I need you all to hear it from the horse's mouth, not the publicist's computer. Neil began. 
He said, first and foremost, I did not apologize for having an opinion on this matter. I am a 43-year-old heterosexual male raising five boys and two girls, okay? That's my reality. And my opinion offended, uh, if my opinion offended somebody, yeah, sure, I apologize for you being offended because that wasn't my intention. My intention is never to offend anybody. However, I'm entitled to feel how I feel. I am absolutely entitled to feel how I feel the same way you are entitled to feel how you feel, he continued. Well, he stated that he does uh, plan to educate himself on the issues, but insisted that he has no beef with the LGBTQIA plus community and only answered the question. If I get canceled for this, then you know what? Uh, maybe this is uh, is a world where they don't uh, need a neo no more. And ain't uh, and I ain't got no problem with that. I'm a hustler. All right. I'll figure it out. The singer said, I love everybody. Live how you want to live. Love how you want to love. But your opinion is yours. Speak your opinion as much as you feel uh, like it, because, as I said, there ain't uh, that's not special. Uh, he said at the end of the video, in other words, hey, this is what I believe, that minors should not be allowed to make life altering decisions early in life that they may come to regret that these are decisions that should be made by adults. Um, and he stood by that position. It also revealed how public the role that publicists play in many of these uh, very popular performers in trying to manage their image. And it raises the question of how many other performers, actors and so on um, hold views that they expressed initially but were uh, encouraged to pull back because the publicist suggested it was not in their best interest. The Wall Street Journal editorial board wrote Sunday that Democrats wanted televised uh, uh, Donald Trump trials to dominate media attention as the campaigns for 2024. That is precisely what Democrats want, a long-running O.J. Simpson-style trial that consumes public and political attention, especially if it takes place before Election Day in 2024, the editorial board wrote. And again, this is the Wall Street Journal. They go on, the Democratic claim that TV cameras would make the public more likely to accept a verdict is highly unlikely, given America's... uh, political polarization and the nature of this prosecution. The Justice Department of the, uh, of the sitting president is prosecuting his potential opponent. That is inherently combustible, the board went on to say. The trials of Donald Trump are going to be traumatic enough without their various participants playing to the cameras and watching their reviews on nightly news, cable news, the Wall Street Journal continued. Democratic California Representative Adam Schiff, along with 38 House Democrats, demanded that Trump's federal criminal trials be televised for for the public in a letter to federal officials on Friday. And by the way, uh, federal court cases are never televised. This would be an unprecedented first. House Democrats reintroduced legislation that would impose a 1,000% excise tax on semi-automatic assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Representative Don Beyer introduced the legislation on Friday along with 24 other House Democrats. The new bill, House Bill 5135, is titled to amend the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 to impose an additional 1,000% excise tax on the sale of large-capacity ammunition feeding uh, devices and semi-automatic assault weapons, and for other purposes. That's all in the title. An AR-15, the best-selling U.S. rifle, according to uh, sources, can cost up to uh, $400 for a basic model, up to $2,000 for a higher-end model. The new tax proposal would increase those prices to a range of $4,000 to $20,000. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back to continue to take a look at the news. We'll be back. <laughs> 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Proterra, the electric bus company, repeatedly celebrated by the president, filed bankruptcy on Monday, blaming various market headwinds for its financial struggles. The California-based company filed a voluntary Chapter 11 reorganization under the bankruptcy code in the District of Delaware to strengthen its financial position. Proterra said it would continue to operate its business as normal, including paying employees salaries and benefits and compensating vendors and suppliers during the process. Well, Proterra has been um, boosted by the Biden administration on multiple occasions since it took he took office in 21 on um, in April of that year. The president hosted a virtual White House event to spotlight Proterra's business. During that event, uh, the executives took the president on a virtual tour of the company's South Carolina manufacturing facility where its buses were assembled. Well, it's concerning because this is another subsidized uh, a company that has filed bankruptcy, uh, subsidized by the U.S. government. In addition, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm has faced widespread criticism for her ownership in stake uh, in Proterra. Uh, Granholm has served as their board or served on their board before her confirmation to lead the Department of Energy, continued holding shares of the company for months after her confirmation. While we are pleased that Secretary Granholm has eventually done the right thing and divested herself from Proterra, many questions remain unanswered. Michael Chamberlain, who's the director of Protect the Public's Trust, uh, after Granholm uh, sold her shares, had that to say. And while Secretary Granholm no longer owns the stock, the American public still deserves answers to why this uh, perceived conflict lasted as long as it did. Well, the company has filed bankruptcy, and what uh, what that means for U- U.S. taxpayer dollars is a larger question. Well, it uh, it wasn't supposed to work this way. When a significant new solar project uh, starts up somewhere in the country, the rationale for it. Uh, generally checks the following two boxes state mandates require that a certain percentage of power be provided by renewables and the uh, scads of government money is available to solar panel sellers and installers to help convince consumers and utilities to take the plunge well the results is a result rather is thousands of rural areas that used to host heaps of corn wheat and other commodities now sport rows of shiny solar panels in an effort to pass muster with these mandates and take advantage of taxpayer funding. On the other side, though, there's a dark secret being hidden from most Americans. Perhaps they know that most of the raw materials for making solar panels are sourced from China and are often shipped ready to, for use. But the New York Times last week featured a story about the troubling origins of this green energy staple, and the report should give the industry and its supporters some pause. Simply put, as David Strom noted in uh, at Hot Air, the largest solar panel manufacturer in the world are able to sell their inexpensive panels because of where they're located, and that is right where slave labor is made available to them by the Chinese government. The Chinese communist government is using slave labor. No big surprise, but in this particular area might be surprising to some. We'll pardon the times for being late to the party since uh, it's been noted the accusations of slave labor uh, for some time before. Back in 2021, in fact, uh, Lewis Morris wrote, China is using its fossil fuel heavy industry and slave labor pulled from its persecuted Uyghur Muslim population to build the solar panels that's selling in the United States. 
Clearly, the target audience of the Times is oblivious to the genocide in China and much more fully behind renewable energy and all of its uh, government caveats and subsidies than um, most folks who are paying attention. It's not as if the industry is unaware of this fact. The Solar Energy Industries Association that serves as an advocate for solar energy providers developed a pledge earlier this year that's been signed by more than 300 of its members. Uh, The pledge reads, in part, to assist in these efforts of ensuring the solar supply chain is free of forced labor. We support the development of an industry-led solar supply chain traceability protocol as a tool for identifying the source of primary raw materials and inputs and tracking their incorporation into finished products, including solar modules. End quote. Well, unfortunately, the solar panel industry is locked into China for the foreseeable future because too much of it depends on the materials made and sourced there. The solar industry has come under stiff criticism in recent years for its ties to uh, Xinjiang, reports uh, The Times, which is a key provider of silicon and materials from which solar panels are made. The region produces uh, roughly a third of both the world's um, uh, polysilicon and its um, metallurgical grade silicon. I'm sure I didn't get that quite right. Uh, the material from which uh, polysilicon is made. Uh, given how difficult it is to verify whether any Chinese product is free of forced labor since they're not exactly a forthcoming nation, it shows the folly of placing our eggs in a single red Chinese renewable energy basket. But that is precisely what the U.S. has done. And then in another news story, a strange trend is sweeping across China outside Chengdu, an urban park next to a golf course and luxury villa now sports a sign return to agricultural use. In the southeastern province of Fujian, a farmer described having his daffodil field bulldozed. Reportedly, it's all part of a new directive from the Chinese Communist Party to reclaim arable land, roll back reforestation initiatives and rapidly increase grain production to achieve food security. But as China clears vast tracts of land in service of what some have called a new great leap forward, what may be going into the ground is stolen American technology, not fiber optic cable or semiconductors, but something just as important, high tech seeds. Well, back in 2011, a field manager at a farm in Iowa spotted an unfamiliar man digging in one of his fields. When he confronted the stranger, the man claimed to uh, be from a university and hurriedly excused himself. Well, the field happened to be planted with special seeds from DuPont Pioneer, and the manager passed along the unnerving incident to the company, which informed the FBI. The investigation uncovered a Chinese seed smuggling ring, and the man digging in the field was Mo, was, uh, Mo Heilong, uh, he was charged by the Department of Justice and sentenced in federal court for conspiracy to steal trade secrets. But that was just the beginning. Since then, the FBI has investigated many such cases, and the Department of Justice has secured additional convictions, including one just last year um, with a PRC national. He pled guilty to conspiracy to commit economic espionage and was sentenced to more than two years in prison. Uh, what did uh, what did he steal? Well, the central algorithm to a software platform being developed by his employer, a Monsanto subsidiary, for farmers to visualize and analyze field data. He took copies of the algorithm on a, a one-way flight back to China, where he later worked for the Chinese Academy of Sciences Institute of Soil Science. Well, in case you're wondering, this wasn't just freelancing. Economic espionage charges require evidence that the activities were intended to benefit a foreign government or foreign agent. In this case, the Communist Chinese Party and the companies that operate at its behest. 
Well, why is the Chinese Communist Party after seeds uh, are seeds and agricultural technology? Well, one answer is that Beijing is simply, after all, um, our, after our intellectual property. The FBI has estimated that China steals between 225 to $600 billion of American intellectual property and trade secrets every year. That's a, around $4,000 uh, stolen from every American family of four. FBI Director Christopher Wray has started the F, uh, stated rather that the FBI opens a new China-related case every 10 hours, and former National Security Agency Director Keith Alexander called cybercrime the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. The Chinese Communist Party has a phrase for this kind of practice, picking flowers in foreign lands to make honey in China, or in the cases above, very literally stealing seed from the U.S. farms to make grain in China. And then America urgently needs to repatriate critical industries from China back to the U.S. If, God forbid, the Chinese Communist Party attacked Taiwan, for example, it's hard to imagine that Beijing wouldn't use antibiotics and other vital drugs to extort U.S. neutrality while China conquers and communizes that nation. Well, America could face this um, rotten choice. Uh, defend Taiwan and before long watch helplessly as um, strep throat, gonorrhea, meningitis and other bacterial infections go untreated, perhaps fatally so, or keep the life sustaining antibiotics flowing as Beijing strangles Taipei. Letting the Chinese Communist Party crush its island neighbor would trample the Taiwan Relations Act, America's de facto commitment to the integrity of that um, prosperous free market constitutional republic. American military and diplomatic prestige would plunge even as um, atrocities and bloodshed in Taiwan soared. Right now, the U.S. has virtually no capacity to manufacture antibiotics. That's a quote from healthcare expert Rosemary Gibson writing on Market Watch. That's because China currently controls roughly 90 percent of the global supply of inputs uh, needed to make the generic antibiotics that treat bronchitis, pneumonia, pediatric ear infections and life threatening Conditions such as sepsis. Congress should pass and Biden should sign robust incentives to entice U.S. pharmaceuticals, um, strategic minerals and other concerns in China to come home. But we've left ourselves vulnerable. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show and sort of a follow up to our previous segment. China made a decision that was announced uh, weeks ago to restrict the export of two minerals used in semiconductors, solar panels, missile systems. Um, it was more than a, a trade salvo. It was a reminder of its dominant hold over the world's mineral resources and a warning of its willingness to use them in its escalating rivalry with the United States. Around two thirds of the world's lithium and cobalt essential for electric cars is processed in China. The country is the source of nearly 60 percent of aluminum also used in EV batteries and 80 percent of polysilicon, an ingredient in solar panels I mentioned earlier. It has an even tighter grip on rare earth minerals that go into crucial technologies like making smartphone touchscreens and missile defense systems, accounting for 90 percent of their refining. According to the International Energy Agency, Chinese companies also often control processing that isn't done at home. A significant share of the world's nickel supply, for instance, comes directly from China. But much of the rest of it also uh, in China's uh, is in China's hands, refined by companies from China in places such as Indonesia and Papua New Guinea. 
Well, the Treasury Secretary Yellen told U.S. businesses in China that the Biden administration was still evaluating Beijing's decision announced to restrict the export of gallium and geranium, but the move was a reminder of the importance of diversified supply chains. China's hold over the world's minerals gives it the power to potentially disrupt the West's energy transition, chip manufacturing, defense industries as its great power rivalry with the U.S. heats up. A Chinese move to restrict exports of, say, lithium or cobalt would hit non-Chinese automakers hard, throwing the production of electric car batteries into disarray. Again, just a bit of perspective into the challenge. Well, in another um, story, the um, Samuel Say, writing an op-ed piece on the coming persecution, suggests that it may in fact be upon us. And he's, of course, referring to believers. He writes that don't be surprised if one day you are on trial for quoting the Bible on social media. If that seems unthinkable, you should know it's already happening to some Christians in other parts of the world, like tropical storms that devastated the Caribbean and South American nations before hitting American soil. There is a coming persecution that is already affecting Christians around the world. If things do not change, American Christians will suffer the same storms. There are already warning signs. The Bible says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. That's first Peter four twelve. Talked about first Peter earlier in the show. Christians have become accustomed to getting banned or shadow banned on social media for their beliefs, but it seems strange to think that one day we could be arrested for quoting the Bible. But that's what happened to a member of parliament in Finland. She's been an elected official since 1995. She was the chair of the Christian Democratic Party from 2004 to 2015. She was minister of the interior from 2011 to 2015. And she's a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Finland with her husband, who serves as a pastor. Well, back in June of 2019, she tweeted a picture of Bible verses and questioned her denomination's partnership with the LGBT pride event. Well, the prosecutor general in Finland opened an investigation against her. In April of 21, the prosecutor announced three charges of hate speech against her. One charge for the tweet, a second charge for a 2004 pamphlet on sexuality for her church, and a third charge for a 2019 radio debate on the subject of sexuality. Well, Alliance Defending Freedom International supported her defense at a district court and in a unanimous ruling in March of 22, the court ultimately dismissed all charges against her. However, the prosecutor appealed the ruling. So on the 22nd of this month, she's going to stand trial again, again in Finland. It's tempting to think this could never happen in America. Freedom of speech is protected by law in this country. But she can say the same about her country. The Constitution in Finland protects freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Therefore, it is um, her today, but it could be your pastor tomorrow. If a politician can be charged with hate speech for quoting the Bible, pastors can receive the same charge. If politicians can be charged for that, less powerful people like you can also be charged for quoting the Bible on social media. Well, last week, police officers in Wisconsin arrested several young Christians for preaching the gospel at a public drag queen event that targeted children. The drag queen event. In June, the House of Representatives in Michigan passed House Bill 4474. It's a bill that would make speech that causes the victim to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened a hate crime. Speech against a person's sexual orientation or gender identity or expression are listed as hate crimes. 
Western nations like America and Finland founded their legal system on Christian ethics, but now they're radically committed to LGBT ideology and opposed to their founding values. Just as Christian theology shaped the West's legal system, LGBT ideology, ideology rather, is reshaping it. Uh, the ideology cannot coexist with Christian theology. It cannot compete uh, with the uh, hopeful, freeing gospel of Jesus as expressed in Scripture. And there will be, it's being predicted, a showdown. It's already begun. Therefore, it suppresses Christianity through persecution. It arrests Christian for Christians for preaching the gospel. It criminalizes speech against homosexuality and transgenderism. An alternate uh, opinion, we're not talking about actions that are Hurtful. We're talking about opinions expressed and it charges people like um, this uh, Finnish politician for quoting the Bible on social media. Well, like every person in a Western nation, she has a constitutional right to the freedom of speech. However, free speech rights are irrelevant if people aren't empowered to defend them. Like the first trial, Alliance Defending Freedom International is supporting this uh, lawmaker. Please donate if you can. Pray for this lawmaker. They helped uh, her win the first trial. So uh, with your prayers, the second could be a win as well. The trial isn't just persecution against her. It's a persecution against the church. And right now it's a trial against an elected official in Finland. But in the future, it could be a trial against an average citizen in America. Following her charges, this lawmaker, this Christian woman married to a pastor in Finland, where they where they have the constitutional right to free speech and uh, the freedom of religion. She says, I do not consider myself guilty of threatening, slandering or insulting anyone. My statements were all based on the Bible's teaching on marriage and sexuality. I will defend my right to confess my faith so that no one else would be deprived of their right to freedom of religion and speech. So, again, please pray her um, hearing is coming up in the next few days. It will be on August the 22nd, and we will certainly try to provide you with any information on the outcome of this um, of this event. All right. Well, we are just about out of time. I want to thank James Blind for producing, Dave King for engineering. Also want to remind you the Pastor's Appreciation Breakfast is coming up. If you haven't yet registered, let me encourage you to go to kpdq.com. All the important uh, details are there. It's a free event. We just want to bless and encourage you. It's going to be great music, great uh, teaching. So that's coming up. kpdq.com. Check it out. All right. Want to thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.